At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then, book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable to you want to talk to someone but not just anyone alma is there to help you find the right fit visit helloalma.com therapy 30 to schedule a free consultation today that's helloalma.com therapy 30 this episode is brought to you by shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, y'all. It is time for another episode of the Rise Together podcast, and we are going to continue our series of rising together with people who have potentially had a little bit of a different life experience than the one that you may be familiar with. The hope again is that we can connect people who've had different life experiences with everybody so that we all have a bit more empathy for what they may have gone through and appreciation, uh, certainly in this, ex in this story, for the sacrifice that is involved uh, relative to what most of us have to endure. And it's a, a thing that has been close to us in our community because of how we've tried to rally around the military and military families, whether you're someone who's currently serving or a veteran, a spouse of someone who is either, um, we're going to try and keep showing up for this, uh, this community. And we have an awesome, awesome in-studio guest, a couple of in-studio guests today. They're going to share a story that we think will inspire you and hopefully have you thinking completely differently about what it means to serve this country. Yeah. Hi guys! Hello. Hey. Uh, so tell us, tell us who you are. Tell tell listeners who you are and what you do. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me today. I appreciate this opportunity. And my name is Kyle Carpenter. I'm a 29 year old, uh, retired, medically retired uh, United States Marine, and I have uh, been on a journey since uh, nine years ago when I was injured by a hand grenade in Afghanistan. And, uh, and my name is Don Yeager, and I am a, uh, an author and a speaker, but I am fortunate enough to be the co-author of a book with Kyle that, um, that I think is the subject of part of our conversation today. But I, you know, I think the thing, if your audience doesn't know Kyle, you've just, just in that little bit right there, what you heard was the humility of what makes him special. Um, this is, I mean, to say I was injured in combat does zero justice, right? This is a young man who, um, you know, a, a, a decade ago, I was a 19-year-old Marine in Afghanistan. He's on a rooftop with his best friend. Their best, their job is to serve his sentries while the rest of the platoon is resting behind them. And the Taliban launch a grenade. It lands on the roof between Kyle and his best friend. And instinctively, Kyle Carpenter dives on the grenade to save his buddy. Wow. Um, 41 surgeries later. Declared dead five times. Wow. 
uh, Kyle Carpenter runs the Marine Corps Marathon, oh. right? Uh, a couple of years after that, the president uh, awards him the Congressional Medal of Honor, making him the youngest, uh, the youngest recipient of that award, uh, and uh, and the and the youngest living recipient of that award today. And it just is. Um, uh, I've been, you know, I, I I look at the all the stories we could try to tell and all the stories we try to understand. Um, uh, there isn't a greater story than the guy sitting in the studio with us today and the ability to understand what it means um, to uh, to bring perspective into life and to uh, to appreciate. I mean, I love Kyle talks about every day as a bonus day for him, right? Uh, and if we can all think of our days as bonus days, man, we come we we we, we treat life differently. It's absolutely. powerful stuff. You did not do a good job of introducing yourself. <laughs> I'm just going to say. Now that. we know what you can bring this guy. I'm Rachel Hollis. And I'm Dave Hollis. And we're married. For like 15 years. And we have four kids. That's like a thousand kids. We've been foster parents to four kids as well. And we're running a business together. That's a lot of things. It is a lot of things. But we know that it's possible to have an exceptional relationship regardless of the stresses you have in your life. So if you want some tips and tricks on how we get through all the things, this is Rise Together. Um, I, so I'd love to go back to the beginning of joining service. So mm. why did you decide to enlist and why the Marines? So I decided to enlist and, you know, along with uh, the process of getting, you know, my parents' blessing, you know, working through that, uh, I wanted to enlist because I wanted to commit and devote myself and my life to a bigger purpose, you know, knowing exactly what I was getting into or what that purpose was. You know, I can't say that I knew at the time, but, you know, I just wanted to do something bigger than myself and something that I felt, you know, whether it was helping people on the ground in Afghanistan or humanitarian efforts, whatever was going to be my, you know, my path and my purpose in the Marine Corps. I wanted it to matter and and be bigger than any one individual. I before y'all came in, I was looking at a video that you posted in your Instagram feed that you found of nineteen year old you <laughs> on yes. the ground, shirtless in Afghanistan, <laughs> just walking around, not knowing what was inevitably coming right around like right around the corner. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, given, you know, everything that Don explained, the experiences you had of all these surgeries, but ultimately also being recognized by the president and the award, is there a thing that you'd say to that unknowing 19-year-old? Is there a thing you could say to, to that younger version of yourself of what was coming to prepare you for the decade that you've had since that video was taken? Uh, stay away from grenades. <laughs> uh, no, I mean that. That's a good question, and uh, you know when I when I watch that video, when I think about what myself and my fellow Marines went through, it doesn't get any less surreal to watch that. 
but I don't think I would say anything to my past self because as difficult as the path and the journey was that unfolded for me, you know, I'm very thankful for with the way the chips fell, how things turned out. And, you know, we're sitting here, which I never would have had the opportunity to do and address so many people out there and tell them that you can truly come back better and stronger and better than you were before whatever knocked you down. Mm -hmm. You know, you might not be the same physically, mentally, or emotionally, and that is absolutely okay. So I don't think I would say anything um, because the journey that I've been on, like I said, it was too difficult to comprehend and to put into words at times. Uh, but now looking back, you know, some of the greatest people that I'll ever meet in my life, you know, the lessons that I still live by and through every day were taught to me, you know, because I had to search for those silver linings and that perspective through the long, dark, hard, and painful nights. So I love the idea of looking for the good, even in the trauma, mm. uh, similar uh, past, similar stuff, not to you, but similar in childhood trauma, PTSD, mm. um, still something that I grapple with today. And when I really started to heal was when I started to look for what good came out of this, which I think is such a beautiful attitude, but definitely not something that you have immediately. Absolutely. So can you talk about, you know, that awareness, just what's that time period like after waking up, like declared dead, as I would said, five times, and, and now you're, you're, you are aware, and what does that journey look like to healing for you? So I think the first, maybe not the first step through my journey, but I think the first thing that I would try to convey to people is, To realize that while your struggle is difficult and unique and individual to you or whoever, you know, at the same time, the way this book came about and, you know, one of the very kind of prominent lessons that stick out to me is, yes, our struggles are unique to us, but at the same time, struggle is the one thing that is the common thread throughout every single person on this earth. So, you know, while you're searching for those silver linings and those tough but beautiful lessons of perspective, you know, it's okay if you don't heal right away. It's okay if it takes a year. It's okay if it's on your own time and in your own way. But one thing is you should never feel alone because no matter what you're going through, someone out there has been through, if not the exact same thing, something extremely similar and people can relate. You know, but as far as kind of the evolution of how I got to a lot of these lessons, which I, um, along with Don's help, try to relay in the book is the extremely small steps that I was forced to take. You know, I wake up in the hospital. I had gone unconscious on a hot, dusty rooftop in Afghanistan. I wake up five weeks later. 
There's snow outside of my hospital room wow. wall. I didn't really even know what military medicine was or that it was really even a thing. And uh, I see, after a few minutes of trying to process, I see Christmas stockings hanging on my hospital room wall in front of my bed that my mom had hung decorating my room, you know, hopefully and lovingly preparing for me to, you know, potentially wake up. And so that that's the start of my journey. And then the next three years, just going surgery after surgery, trying to get back to my new 100%, whatever that was going to be. You know, is it extremely tough and surreal and almost unbelievable to be told that you have, you know, hey, Kyle, is your doctor here? You you have at least minimum of two years before we can kind of put you back together. So with that said, I was forced to take the smallest of steps. And, you know, when you're laying there still, everything is atrophying for five weeks. It's tough to get moving. So, you know, my first goal, I want to sit up in the bed for five minutes. You know, if I can sit up, I can work on making my way to the edge of the bed. And, you know, that sounds like, wow, a whole six inches. You know, at the time, might as well have been running a marathon. So I wanted to sit on the edge of my bed. I wanted to hang my feet off the edge of my bed. I knew if I could hang my feet off the edge of my bed, I could work on standing. If I could stand, I could work on taking that step. If I could take that step, I could walk. And if I could walk, you know, maybe one day I could try to run that marathon. Um, you know, and then the surgeries got um, less and less, and I just kept with the therapy routine and things like that. You know, but it was a long journey nonetheless. So along with telling people that, you know, no matter what your struggle is, you're not alone, I think the next thing I would say to focus on is one, one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how big the stride doesn't matter, matter how many you do. You know, it's just that one small baby step. And you don't have to know where you're going. You know, you don't have to know what's happening the next day. You know, just take that step. And uh, I think one of my favorite kind of um, lines or, you know, quotes through this whole process is that the smallest of steps eventually completes the grandest of journeys. Mm-hmm. And so now, you know, kind of realizing uh, in hindsight, looking back at all this and reflecting on what I've been through, um, you know, in in a summarized way, that line right there represents a lot of my journey. I've never been negative or bitter about the situation because even though I don't agree with the, you know, philosophies of the Taliban and the you know, arguably evil people that we are fighting against. Uh, you know, I know that they obviously were passionate about and fighting for what they believed in as well. And, you know, that Walter Reed support staff that he's talking about, I mean, I, I love this little nugget from the story, right? It's um, <clears throat> on the way to Afghanistan, obviously, like, you know, Kyle's mother knew He'd, he'd done a semester of college, but she wanted him to stay in school. And as he said, he went to seek their blessing. And, you know, part of his commitment to his mother and father was, don't worry, I'll come home. 
when I do, I'll go back to college. And that kind of gave like the mom and the mom some solace, right? You know, he's going to come back and go to college. We, no one was expecting him to come back in the condition he did. But he essentially spends the next three years after he returns home, right, that we've talked about, at Walter Reed uh, or in, you know, being treated through the hospital system there, the VA hospital system. But he's discharged essentially on a Friday. Uh, but on the following Monday, uh, Kyle enrolled at the University of South Carolina. Wow. Right? Uh, how powerful and, and and impactful were those were those doctors in that community to him. But he graduates four years later, right? And when he goes to walk the stage to accept his diploma at South Carolina, the medical team had come in to walk the stage with him. Oh, stop it. Wow. Don't stop. I'm going to cry this whole time. Well, that would be a good oh. goal if you do that. You can do it with me. It's awesome. You're not the uh, only one yeah, crying. No, oh, that's so incredible. Yeah, but it is. Um, I mean, I look at that and I think, like, that's the community that rallied around him. That's why when Kyle says, hey, I, I had people who were regularly convincing me I should I I should put the right the right foot in front of the left. I should bring this perspective to it every day. That's where Kyle says he gets that from. I mean, yes, amazing parents. Greatest mother and father I think I've ever met. Two two brothers that are awesome. But then, you know, daily pouring into him was this community of doctors and nurses and caregivers and it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline who would one day walk the stage with him. Yeah. Well, like it doesn't get any better. It's an interesting thing because identity in our conversations with people who've been in military and become veterans after their service, like identity as a thing that universally has been somewhat of a challenge. You go from being a part of a platoon, being a part of a, a you know, I don't even, I want to use the right vernacular. I don't even know the right vernacular, but being part of that crew where your rank and your brothers in arms are or sisters or sisters are defining a little bit of who you are and what you mean and then you transition back into civilian population and that is gone and that being gone is going to challenge for anyone what their identity was versus what their now new identity is in your situation you went through something similar you came into the military with an identity mm-hmm. as a 19 year old kid that didn't have to have any surgeries and here you come wake up and now your identity is different i love the positivity perspective i mean in some ways it's victim victor you chose victor from the beginning knowing it was the only thing you could choose but can you talk just a little bit either of you on kind of like what the the identity shift coming out of your situation meant for you and the psychology of processing what like this new version of you post the events meant for the future of your life. Absolutely. So 
And the, and this is a a great topic of discussion because veterans and transitioning, especially after everything, even if you're not injured, you know, just serving and like you said, being a part of that community, that family, uh, can be very difficult. And you know, for my journey specifically. There's two sides of everything, right? So I have to spend three years in the hospital at Walter Reed, go through all of these surgeries. But, you know, I started to realize through that, that, oh, wow, this is painful and difficult. It's giving me time. Not only time to really think about and decide, you know, do I really want to, quote, unquote, hang the uniform up? you know, kind of put this part of my life, you know, behind me. So I thought really hard about it. uh, And I realized that, at least to myself, I felt like I had accomplished why I joined. After being injured and bleeding the way I did, you know, with the uniform I had on that has United States Marines on the name tape, I felt like I had contributed myself to that bigger cause. And, you know, on the ground every day there, you know, seeing how the people are treated, seeing how they live, seeing how, you know, they think everywhere in America is like Disney World because, you know, they're lucky and fortunate if they have a pair of, you know, flip-flops on their feet. And so, you know, to myself, I was proud of what I did. So even though I was only in, you know, the real Marine Corps, not recovering for a year and a half, you know, feeling the way I did, I knew that I could comfortably move on and take that next step of whatever I wanted to accomplish in life. I quickly uh, and very confidently decided that, you know, I was going to go back to school. So along with doing a few internships at the hospital, uh, I did all the admissions paperwork and essays and so on and so forth to to just seamlessly go into college after I left the hospital. Seamlessly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's the path everybody yeah, yeah, else yeah. takes. Well, I'm what, how much do you think that having, like, the new goal or the thing to work on helped you to make that transition? Like, you had this whole new thing to focus on. Right. School is hard in its own way. Mm-hmm. So how much do you think that that helped? It helped tremendously. It gave me not only something to look forward to, but something that, you know, I wasn't going to be looking at four walls of a hospital all day long. And so it was very exciting. It was something new. Um, I felt like I was mentally and physically in a very good place for it, and it was the right time. But, you know, with all of this said, as difficult as my journey's been, you know, Compared to the majority of veterans who thankfully are not injured, you know, take my time frame to think about things and plan away. And I didn't go through it, and it's still overwhelming to think about, you know, to leave a community like the military, to wake up every day and have a very set and structured schedule, and to know that everyone you're around all day long 
is going to not only have your back no matter what, but potentially take a grenade for you. And so to leave that and transition into the civilian world, you know, good for you. The effort is the first step. But that is very uh, daunting and challenging for some veterans because you not only have to give that part of your life up to a certain extent, you know, with me being injured, anyone that serves and wears that uniform, you're always going to be somewhat connected to the family. So that was also a, a factor that made it easier for me to medically retire. Uh, but, you know, like, you don't not only have to give up all that, but you have to figure out, you know, one, what's my new place in the world and how can I contribute? And two, how do I take these skills that, you know, if you just look at the titles or the description, might not necessarily translate perfectly to the civilian world. You know, so, you know, they will, and you have the skills and you have, you know, the discipline and the commitment, all of these amazing things. You just have to know that everything's about terminology and, and they will translate to the civilian world. But, you know, and on top of all this, if you have kids and a family to leave that steady paycheck, which I promise you is not a lot or nothing to brag about. Uh, <laughs> so that's not why we join, but, you know, to leave that financial stability and security and just jump out into the real world um, is, is scary and can be very difficult for uh, transitioning veterans. So I'm thankful that Although I was in the hospital, I did have that time to really think about and plan, you know, the direct, the new direction that I wanted to go with my life. One of my favorite stories in, in the um, in, related to college, though, is so Kyle's at South Carolina. He's making his way through. Obviously, he's not telling all of his classmates all these things, but he'd been alerted by the Pentagon that he was a candidate uh, for the Medal of Honor. Right, which is, a, I mean, the what it takes to receive the medal and the amount, the number of investigations and other things to make sure that 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 what they believe happened on that rooftop happened. Mm -hmm. Kyle cannot tell you what happened on that rooftop. Mm -hmm. Like he remembers nothing. Mm -hmm. Everything that we tell in the book and the stories that are able to be shared are all because of these investigations, interviews with everybody else. Um, but so uh, they've gone through the entire process. He's gonna now. It's been it's been decided. He's gonna receive the medal. Right? It's crazy. And they reach out to him and they say, Kyle. By the way, you know, at uh, whatever it is, two seventeen p.m. next Tuesday, you need to be someplace where you can receive a call from the president of the United States. Right? <laughs> and Kyle's like, Oh man, you know. But I've um, when he's telling me a story, I'm laughing because he's like. I have a three o'clock class, right? <laughs> and, it, uh, and it's like, where do you go to receive a call from the president yeah. so you can make it back in time? How and funny. his parents are like, you're receiving that call yeah. in our living room is where you're receiving that call. And so it's funny because they go to the local high schools to pick up his two brothers so that they're in the living room to all 
hear the president on the speakerphone and the brothers come home and they're like, what's going on? Like, why, why are we here? And, um, uh, and so I've listened to a recording, which is awesome, of the president, you know, it's Obama saying, hey, Kyle, you know, Barack Obama here. Yeah. And Kyle's like, what's up, Mr. President? You know, <laughs> just like, and they're just having this little, and he's asking about college. And, and you're listening to it and you're thinking, this is crazy. But then it ends and Kyle's like, all right, I gotta pack up. I gotta get back I mean, because he's got his new discipline, right? Yeah. His new normal yeah. is I gotta get back to college. Now you don't go back to college yeah. and go to all the all your friends. Hey, guess what? I just talked to the president. Yeah, it just was this new, um, and and I loved the way, I, like even in this highest of moments, if you would call it that, you know. Um, where where his mind was, oh man, I got an assignment yeah. doing. If I miss that class, <laughs> like that's going to be bad. And so I laughed for days when he told me that story because uh, I thought that's uh, that's how the new normal looked yeah, for him. It's that's awesome. so great. And just uh, to share a couple funny things of uh, my family and uh, how we operate in our living room when I did get home. My brothers were obviously curious because we hadn't told them what was going to happen. And so one of them guessed that we were getting a new dog. And the other one thought that dad had gotten a new recliner. So <laughs> there's our priorities in our household. Very, very close. Very close. Yeah. The recliner would be exciting, though. Uh, um, you, you know, you talked about your family and what an incredible support they were for you in this time and still are. Uh, if we have people listening right now who are family or spouse or friends of someone who's walking through a recovery process or a transition, or what are the things you think your family did that – really were so helpful and so like supported you in the way you needed to be supported they were just there mm. they were just there and they continued to love me and support me and the hardest part for me wasn't the pain or the long nights it was knowing that my family was having to mentally and emotionally suffer with me so it was, it was a, even though all this physical stuff was going on, it was so crazy, you know, my biggest burden was just them having to go through it. But them reassuring me that because they love me and they support me and they would never leave me, you know, they were happy to be there helping change my bandages. They were happy to be there, you know, holding the bedpan under me because I literally could not physically get out of the bed. And if I could... We pretty much had to shut down half the floor at Walter Reed because it took a team of five to eight corpsmen to hold my arms up, all my tubes. You know, so they were just there. And, um, you know, also while talking about military families, I just want to say, and I think it's important to stress, you know, how amazing you are and how thankful the service members who are in the uniform serving in crazy places all around the world, you know, to know that you are there and, and you know, I think you really doesn't do military families justice because, you know, people always see the uniform. People always see, you know, the news broadcasts over in Iraq, Afghanistan. But... And this lesson came to me before I deployed on my first combat deployment. 
they do what's called pre-deployment briefs. And anyone, loved ones, family members can come and they go through what all you could potentially and possibly expect after we step on the bus and give you a hug for what could be the last time. And hey, if everything goes good, if your loved one is not injured, they'll come back with the unit. We'll be back around this time. You'll expect to hear from us at this point in our return journey home. Or unfortunately, hey, if they come back in a box, this is you know, how things will be handled. This is who will contact you. This is how you'll get notified. But we're being told all of this just almost unreal information. And I'm looking around and, you know, my mom's beside me. There are pregnant wives, just like the wife of my squad leader who was pregnant. And, you know, he got injured and we put him on that medevac, both legs missing. And, I mean, we were optimistic, obviously, and hoping for him to pull through. But we we're also realistic and knowing what we know the training that we had and just seeing those injuries, you know, to think about if he didn't make it and, you know, his wife is not only pregnant and going to have their first child without him and, you know, their baby daughter Olivia would never know her dad, but she would go through the actual physical pregnancy by herself. You know, obviously she would probably have her family there, but, you know, Families go through a lot, mm -hmm. and they serve just as much as us Absolutely. in just a very different capacity. And, you know, I really do feel like the loved ones, the family members, are truly the backbone of military families. And, you know, for good or bad, we get the recognition, but, you know, people need to understand that it's tough to, for seven months or a year, mm -hmm to live beside your phone and your answering machine. Mm. Every time you go to church, every time you go to school, you know, it's everything you do and every day you wake up, you wonder if you're going to get a call. You go to sleep, you wonder if you're going to wake up to a call. So a huge thank you. You can never be thanked enough, but the military families are beyond incredible. Absolutely. You, you know, as Rachel and Dave, as we were prepping to begin this session, you, uh, you know, we were talking about parents and about, uh, you know, about, um, and I was sharing a little bit of a story, um, but, uh, you know, Kyle, during one of his breaks from Walter Reed, they let him go home to his family in South Carolina and he's there again, he's awaiting because of what all he had lost uh, he's waiting pr his teeth to be and prosthetic teeth to be given to him, and and uh, and it's late in the evening. He decides to make himself a bowl of cereal. He sits down at the kitchen counter, um, and he pours the milk, the cereal. He starts to try to eat it, but the milk just is dribbling down his chin. Right, he just cannot. And um, and it was a low moment. Like you know, to your point, like were there moments? Yes. I mean, um, and in this moment. Uh, he is, he's, he's crying, he's upset. His mother hears him. She comes downstairs and, um, both Kyle and his mother have shared the story, but this gives you the, also this additional perspective. What does a family do? Right. And, uh, his mother's like, Kyle, are you okay? Are you hurt? What's going on? 
And again, Milk's dribbling down his chin, and Kyle just looks at his mom and said, you know, is anyone ever going to love me again? Mm. And, I mean, as his mother tells me the story, like, she just, I mean, this is years later, and she's bawling, and I'm, you know, we're crying, and it's just, because you get to this place where you realize in that moment, you know, she becomes this reinforcing uh, gift to him mm -hmm. that allows him to to uh, believe that love was, you know, that there would be love, but he had to love himself, mm -hmm. but, you know, as she grew through that, um, uh, love again would be would be there for him. So, I, I, you know, amazing. I think that plays into both parts of your questions, right? An unbelievable family, but yes, you know, this isn't this. This was never a a, a linear journey for Kyle sure. that, that goes. You know, that was always in the upbeat. You know what's interesting? This is a little bit of a hard turn, but Kyle's Instagram handle is chicks. Dig scars, <laughs> which I am here for. But also, right, like as I think about it, right, like that story, it just like that's a low low, right? Chicks dig scars as an Instagram handle was not in the realm of what you were thinking in the midst of wondering, right. am I lovable, right? You are correct. And scars, right, like it, you happen to have physical scars. You also, I'm sure, have some emotional scars. But anyone who's gone through anything hard inevitably has scars, right? Mm -hmm. And the thing that we can tell ourselves story-wise is that those scars make us unlovable, that those scars will forever keep us from feeling or having or doing. And those are stories that if we believe them, we'll make those stories true. And so your mother played a role in debunking some of the lie in that story for yes. you that day. But no matter if you're serving or not, if you've got a scar, number one, chicks dig scars. I mean, follow Kyle immediately, but also <laughs> chicks dig scars, right? Like it's a proclamation as much as it is a fun handle. And the idea that you can see that now and maybe be a model for someone who's struggling with the idea that their identity is wrapped in their scar in a negative way instead of being part of why they're a killer, badass, awesome, contributing, wonderful human that is super deserving of love is... I think a part of the testimony here too. Yeah, no, thank you for that. And that is such a great point. Uh, and so far, um, the feedback on the book and my favorite chapter is, I believe chapter 13, I should know by now, two years of working on this thing, but uh, <laughs> it, it was, I was in the hospital and there was this beautiful moment where a uh, Marine that I was with in Afghanistan, uh, he was from the D.C. area. He was home on leave, and we meet up, and, um, you know, he had had a rough childhood growing up, had um, had some experience with the gang life, and, you know, wanted to not only get back to his country, but really turn his life around and, and become a United States Marine. And uh, he brought a couple of his buddies from his past life who um, you know, we're really, really good guys and, uh, that he felt he could hang around still comfortably with no pressure of anything. And, you know, I'm with these, uh, three Mexican guys, two of them, you know, gang members in this, uh, British bar in downtown DC. And it was this point where, you know, I have my physical scars 
they had their physical scars, I'm sure emotional and mental scars as well. And our journeys, our life, our stories, how we got those scars, everything was just so vastly different. But at the same time, you know, those scars connected us. And, you know, while learning and understanding, like you were saying, that scars are a, a beautiful thing and that, you know, once you learn to accept and not only accept, but embrace and love your scars, you start to realize that they not only connect you with other people who have struggled, but that those scars represent that you're a survivor, that no matter what those scars came from, you made it through, you know, those scars healed, you healed, and now you have this just amazing, difficult, surreal mark on your body or soul that, you know, shows to yourself and the world, you know, like, hey, I got knocked down pretty hard, but I'm back. And not only am I back, but I've learned from what gave me those scars, and I've become better and stronger for it, and I know how to go forward more confidently and, you know, a better person now. So good. How was the book writing process? First and foremost, it was amazing, and it turned out even better than I was hoping or expecting for. And it was never really hard. Um, as you know, uh, just time-consuming. And even when I wasn't behind my computer writing, I woke up full-on brainstorming mode, went to bed. You know, if I could turn my brain off, full-on brainstorming mode. He probably has just as many emails at 2 or 3 a.m. as he does during normal working <laughs> hours. Right. And so... Uh, you know, just always being mentally on was was kind of draining. But at the same time, something that I don't think I really knew to expect or anticipate is so much of my journey that I was not conscious for was filled in. Mm. Wow. And so as I wow. was telling my story to, I guess, the computer slash to people, I was also learning a lot about myself and my journey amazing you know what my parents went through when they got the answering machine that i had been injured and to call you know this oh, number how scary left on the answering machine when they got home from church wow. and so uh, but you know the process was amazing i through working through it and connecting a bunch of dots and meeting certain people i was able to finally after eight years, tracked down my medevac crew who took picked me up off the battlefield wow. in Afghanistan. You know, reconnect with certain doctors and just um, really learn more about myself and be more confident in the things that I already knew. Just because I had to reflect for so long. Yeah, on. absolutely. That's, That's awesome. awesome. It was, but I'm I'm very thankful that. I had the opportunity and, you know, I've completed the opportunity to write it because I truly see it as not my story or my journey 
I see it as more of a journey that is not just any one person or individual. I see it as something that through proving to myself, I have learned just what the human body and spirit can go through. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, take my name out of it, take, you know, jumping on a grenade out of it. Just if I were, if whoever fill in the blank was to wake up in the hospital with all of these unknowns and challenges in front of them, you know, look, here's what you can do. Yeah. And here's what you can make it through. And here's what you not only can make it through, but you can come out on the other side smiling and happy and, you know, maybe loving life even more than you did before you got that scar or before whatever knocked you down. Yeah. You know, there was one um, story that, that, that links into, and actually is the way that we all ended up in this room together, um, uh, our mutual friend, John Maxwell. Um, uh, he and I were here in Austin uh, a year, a year plus ago, and we were speaking to an organization, Keller Williams, and um, I was the. We were both speaking, and and so that night, he and I and Mark Cole went to dinner. Mark, your buddy, um, who runs this company, and uh, the next week, I was speaking for John at the Pro Football Hall of Fame at an event. And John, um, and I had told Mark that I was going to bring Kyle along with me. Right? Mark had looked him up. Mark had shared a little bit with, with John about him. And so we're at dinner, and John says, uh, gosh, tell me more about this guy, Kyle Carpenter. So I tell him some. John Maxwell, as you know, very emotional guy. He's balling. Mark's balling. I'm balling. <laughs> we're just three men sitting at a steakhouse balling. Totally right? normal. Just normal in Austin, I'm sure. Do just, you guys need any more dressing? Yeah, exactly. Excuse okay. me. Exactly. Uh, do you need your buns refreshed? Um, but is it? Um, and so, uh, you know, John now realizes Kyle's coming the next week, and he's just my plus one right at this event. And that's it. And so we're there, and uh, and John comes in, and big room of people, and he wants to, like, his first question to me is, where's Kyle? I want to meet this guy. Mm-hmm. And so we get, you know, we meet, and then John says, hey, look, can I give up part of my time tomorrow morning? And instead of me teaching to this big room of people, would 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 you and Kyle come up and talk, share a little of his story, and then I'll join you guys, and we'll just talk, the three of us. And so uh, I get a Kyle, and Kyle's like, oh, I didn't come prepared for that. Yeah. But let's, what the heck? Yeah, let's, John yeah. Maxwell. Like, yeah, no, no pressure. pressure. Yeah, no, no pressure. pressure. Okay, right? great. <laughs> so, um, so we do this, but, um, you know, everything's going, uh, you know, story told on the stage, audience is crying, Kyle comes up, standing ovation that goes forever, and John comes out and is joining. And then we're getting toward the end of the Q&A piece. And John just stops it and says, by the way, Kyle, i got to tell you, you know, ever since, uh, you know, a week ago when Don told me your story for the first time, I have to admit I've spent a lot of time asking myself, who would I dive on a grenade for? Ooh. Mm. It's John Maxwell. Right? Yeah. yeah. He's deeper thinking yeah. than most of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Who would I dive on a grenade for? And he's like, man, what? It's an embarrassingly short list. Mm. Yeah. And he says, so we're here at the Hall of Fame. And, you know, all 
these amazing players and blah, blah, blah. And he said, but Kyle, you're my hero. Mm. I, it's not the audience is all. I mean, you can feel the tightness. You've been in front of a lot of audiences. Yeah. You understand like when you feel their tightness. And and Kyle looks at John and he says, you know, John, I, you know, first off, sir, thank you. That means a lot coming from you, right? He says, but a couple thoughts. He said, first, if you ever get a chance to dive on a grenade, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what the audience needed, right? Yeah. Everybody takes a breath. Yeah. Whew, yeah. Good, right? And then Kyle looks at him and says, but sir, I have to tell you, too, when you, when you say that, um, you know, uh, if you'd asked me 20 minutes before it happened who I would dive on the grenade for, I wouldn't have told you that I would yeah. do it either. Yeah. He said, but you have, that's the beauty of the human spirit, right? You have no idea what you're capable of until you're asked to be capable. Mm. Uh, and the audience was like, whoa. Uh, yeah. You know? <laughs> like an unexpected gift, something they were not counting on. And John was just like, uh, <laughs> you know, but it was just this awesome way. It was so impactful. It actually is the end of the book, right? Yeah. That's the way we end the book was with that kind of the aversion of that story because that, that is such a powerful lesson, right? A lot of times, I mean, we don't know what we're capable of until we're asked to be capable. And I think if I had to pick somebody um, whose capabilities I'd love to emulate, it would be it would be this guy here to my left. I was going to say, don't ask me to do anything else, Donna. Um I'm working with the injuries I got. I don't need or want anymore. No more. We're, we're going through this season right now of pushing ourselves into these, like, we didn't think we could do it kind of scenarios and the, like, crazy impact that it's having on our mindset of what we can accomplish. It's a double-edged sword because now that I know what I can do, we're planning on like doing a half Ironman. Like I, I don't know how to swim well, but like because That's we awesome. are going to do a marathon, we're going to do a half Iron. Like we're pushing. At, like so, I don't know what is up next for you, but the double-edged sword is you've got a crazy great life ahead of you because now you know what you can make your way through. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think my final piece, just to tie into this, is early on in the hospital after I woke up. I don't know how or why I came to the conclusion that I'm about to tell you, but I had this realization, this kind of light bulb moment, where as you know, cliche as it sounds, I really realized and accepted that the past is truly the past. And I think we get wrapped up and overwhelmed a lot in just thinking of if this, if that, you know, all of these different variables that go into a situation that goes good or bad. When you look at just strictly the facts and, and what is, you realize that there is only two options. You take that small step forward or you sit at a kitchen counter crying and feeling sorry for yourself, trying to eat a bowl of cereal the rest of your life. Mm. You know, so uh, I don't recall, uh, probably because all the wonderful medication at Wall 3, but I don't recall exactly <laughs> how I got to that. You know, but that helped me 
you know, in the hospital and that moment at the kitchen counter, realizing that, you know, yeah, I'm pretty banged up, but all I can do now is push forward and whatever happens, happens. I'll deal with it. Might be tough. It's going to be tough. Am I looking forward to it? Not really, but I have to do it. You know, I have to, in the grand scheme of life, chase a life well lived. And, you know, in the immediate moment, I have to take that first step or I'm going to stay right here forever. So uh, I think that's important for people to realize too. And, you know, again, it might take a couple of days, it might take a couple of years. And, you know, you're probably going to have that struggle uh, deep down, uh, which will turn into a lesson and a lesson will turn into perspective. But you might have that your whole life. A lot of times you will have that your whole life. But, you know, to, to grow and understand and learn and become better because of that. And even if you're unsure, take that first step. Oh, so good. End it right Seriously, there. So I mean, good. that's Wait, good. Wait, first tell them the name of the book oh, yeah. and where they can find it. So the, the name of the book is You Are Worth It. Mm-hmm. And and I know I, I know we got time. We're out of time or whatever. But I just have to share with you how the title of the book came. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. So uh, Kyle's telling me these stories at the early part of our working together. And one of them involves him being in the back of an Uber. Driver is, you know, looking at his scars. They're evident, right? Asks him. He shares a little of his um, of his journey and the idea that he had done it, that it had been in the Middle East. The driver was of Middle Eastern descent. Mm. Shout out, shout out to Bobby from Pakistan. Bobby from Pakistan, <laughs> right, the Uber driver. And, and Bobby said what many of us say to veterans when we meet them, right, thank you for your service. I didn't fully appreciate until working on this book how sometimes that can come across as you just didn't know what to say to me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's like saying I'm going to pray for you when, mm-hmm. I, when I haven't prayed in 10 years. And so there's some in the service who struggle with that phrase. Mm-hmm. But rather than, and so a lot of them don't know exactly how to respond. Well, Kyle just looks at Bobby and says, you are worth it. Oh. Uh, I can't I, I, I mean, guys that's good. <laughs> right? So he's telling me a story, and I'm like going, that's the title of the book. Yeah. Because that's what it is, right? That's what he's trying to tell us here is that, yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot going on there. Um, but he did it, and we were worth it. Don is like the most emotional human I being know. I've ever been in a room with in my life, and I'm here for Honestly. it. Honestly. Mm. Hey, I, I slipped him a 20 before he came in. <laughs> so good. This guy can cry. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, just I, I cry when great stories happen. I, and I love, I love and he's it. he's a great story, and I get to tell it. And it's, yeah. as I said, been blessed. Told yeah. some great stories in my lifetime. Greatest story I've ever had a chance yeah. to tell. Wow. Oh. You are worth it. You are worth it. And it's available on um, October 15th mm-hmm. in all fine bookstores. Perfect. Excellent. And audiobook, which I am reading. You good. That's yeah. exactly what I was going to ask. Yeah. That's so important. Well, you guys, we know that you love to listen. You're obviously listening to a podcast. So uh, take it one step further. Go listen to Kyle read this story, this incredible story. Guys, we are so thankful that you came out and, and told us and shared your wisdom. And I know the audience is going to really benefit. From thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. We were blessed by this time. Yeah. Thank you. I had a great time. And again, you know, I really appreciate this opportunity.